Coming up, a message from the pulpit of Bethel Primitive Baptist Church in Calabash, North Carolina, by Elder Michael Goins. For information about Bethel Church, please visit our website at BethelPBC.us. This morning we continue the theme that has occupied us for the past two weeks on shepherding the flock of God, and I want to speak this morning from Acts chapter 20, verses 28 to 31, as we think together about the shepherd's job description. Acts chapter 20, this is the Apostle Paul's farewell address to the elders at the church at Ephesus. And he says in the 28th verse, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to the flock, over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. No doubt a number of you have engaged in a job search at some point in the past, and perhaps you remember when looking for a job that most job advertisements consist of two primary components. First, a job description as to what is expected of that particular vocation, and secondly, the qualities that are required in the applicant for the job. This morning, I want to ask four questions about what it means to be a shepherd of the flock. And the first question is, what is the job description for shepherding? As we proceed in this topical study, I want to answer that question in three ways in particular terms. A shepherd guards the sheep. He's the protector of the flock. Secondly, he guides the sheep. He's a leader. He takes the initiative and goes out before them. And thirdly, he is a provider. He's a guardian, a guide, and a provider. But in general terms this morning, I want to focus on this fact that the basic job description of a shepherd is he is a keeper of sheep. You may know that one of the first people in the Bible, Genesis chapter 4 verse 2, Abel, we're told, was a keeper of sheep. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 11, when Samuel comes to the house of Jesse and is looking at Jesse's sons to anoint one as king, he goes through each of the sons in order of their age, and the Lord hadn't chosen any of them, and finally he asks, is there any beside these? And Jesse answers, the youngest who is keeping the sheep. David was a keeper of the sheep. Now, to keep is to guard. To keep is to watch over. And we learn from this that shepherding is a kind of stewardship. In the pastoral epistle Titus, chapter 1, we read these words in the 7th verse. A bishop, now you may know that there are two titles for gospel ministers in the New Testament, elder and bishop. Elder speaks of the office, bishop of the function. And a bishop which is the title we remember from last week, 1 Peter 2.24, Jesus is called the shepherd and the bishop of our souls. It means an overseer, a superintendent. And now a gospel minister is called a bishop. It says he must be blameless as the steward of God. 
Verse 9, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Notice shepherding, an overseer is the steward of God. He's God's steward. And a steward is one who is entrusted with the property of another. It's your job to guard somebody else's property. I've never served as the best man at someone's wedding, but you know, when you give the ring to the best man or the maid of honor, that's a very responsible position. And most people who've served in that capacity know the apprehension of losing the ring, right? Because you're guarding somebody else's property. And when the preacher says, may we have the ring please, the best man fumbles in his pocket It is a very responsible position. That's a kind of stewardship in which you've been entrusted to keep somebody else's treasure or property. Joseph is a good example of stewardship. In the book of Genesis chapter 39, we read of Joseph in the fourth verse. Joseph found grace in Potiphar's sight, and he served him, and Potiphar made him overseer over his house. There's the word, overseer. And all that he had, he put into his hand. And it came to pass from the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. And he knew not aught that he had, save the bread which he did eat. He trusted Joseph completely. And I know a few tasks that serve as examples of this role of stewardship than this idea of a shepherd. A shepherd which keeps the sheep that belong to someone else. David kept his father's sheep. And there is a sacred trust, if you please, in pastoral ministry. Pastoral ministry is a classic example of stewardship. Notice our text. Take heed unto yourselves and to all the flock. Now be attentive The apostle tells these preachers at the church at Ephesus, take heed to yourself and then take heed to the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. Notice the calling comes from the Lord and the appointment to the position is directed by the Holy Spirit to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. Notice these aren't your sheep, Paul tells the elders at Ephesus, but they are the Lord's sheep. This is the flock that he has purchased with his own blood. So if you're to oversee them, you're to do so in the role of a stewardship. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 1 says, Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of God and stewards of the mysteries of God. That is, God has committed something very priceless, a priceless treasure into our trust. I love the way Paul puts it in 1 Thessalonians 2, 4. As we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tries our hearts. I like the way he says that we were allowed by God to be put in trust. So the ministry is a sacred trust. And therefore, as one who is entrusted to guard someone else's treasure, the gospel minister is to see himself as a steward of the mysteries of God, a steward of the Lord's flock. And when they see themselves in that light, they are following in the footsteps 
of the Lord Jesus Christ, who, as the great shepherd, we're told, keeps his sheep. I want to turn over now to the 17th chapter of John's Gospel, to the high priestly prayer of our Lord Jesus Christ, and listen to these words in verses 11 and 12. And now I am no more in the world, the Lord Jesus says, but these are in the world, talking about his disciples. Now he's about to leave this world and ascend back to heaven, to the glory that he had with the Father before the world was. And he's leaving behind his church, his followers. I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee. Listen to his prayer. Holy Father, keep. There's the word, a keeper of the sheep. Keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me have I kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled. Notice verse 15. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. And the word evil there is in the masculine gender, and it means the evil one. Poniros, a reference to the devil. Father, keep my servants. Protect them. Guard them. Because I've kept them while I was in the world. Now I am entrusting their ongoing safekeeping into your hands. So the Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd, kept his sheep while he was upon this earth. He kept his followers from the evil one's assaults. And I'm telling you, in an eternal sense, he keeps all of his sheep. He keeps their souls. First Peter 2.24 again, he's the shepherd and the bishop of our souls. Now, I can't keep people's souls. I'm so thankful that I don't have to answer to God for keeping people safe from eternal destruction. But I'm telling you, the Lord Jesus as the great shepherd of the sheep who laid down his life for his sheep also preserves them. In fact, in John 10, 26, the Lord Jesus says, My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and none shall pluck the sheep out of my Father's hand. He says, None is able to pluck the sheep out of my hand. Here is a shepherd who safely guards his flock. You know, Johann Sebastian Bach had a spiritual tone in many of the compositions that he gave to the public. And one of the compositions, which has always meant a lot to me, is one entitled, Sheep may safely graze at pasture while their shepherd guards them well. And of course, that's a truism as far as every shepherd is concerned, but it's certainly, my friends, a fact, an objective reality in terms of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sheep may safely graze at pasture knowing that their shepherd is keeping the sheep. Just as Abel was a keeper of the sheep and David kept the sheep, so the Lord Jesus Christ said, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name and now he conveys their ongoing care and keeping to his father. Father, would you keep them from the evil one? Likewise, the under-shepherd is called to be a keeper of the sheep. Would you now listen to 1 Timothy chapter 6 in verse 20, where the apostle Paul tells the young preacher Timothy as he closes out his first epistle, O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings, and oppositions of science falsely, so-called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. He charges Timothy in his closing words to keep the sacred trust. Keep that which is committed unto thy trust. 
Later in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 14, he says it like this, That good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. Now notice we need heavenly help to be faithful. We need heavenly help to keep the trust. That good thing that was committed unto thee. Notice it's not something that is native to you by your first birth, but it's something that has been deposited, something that has been entrusted to your care. I want you to keep it by the Holy Ghost, which dwelleth in us. And the pastoral epistles, first and second Timothy and Titus, affirm that the pastor is a divinely appointed guardian of this sacred trust of the gospel of the Lord's people. He's Christ's sentinel and watchman, charged to protect the city of God against enemy invasion. He is God's shepherd, called to oversee the flock and protect them against potential predators. Now, the English word keep in both of those verses that I just cited, 1 Timothy 6.20 and 2 Timothy 1.14, comes from a Greek word which means to guard, to watch, to hold on to. I want you to guard this sacred trust. And there's a similar thought in our text this morning, Acts 20.28, take heed, pay attention to is what he means. These terms, together with a few others in the New Testament, emphasize the importance of pastoral vigilance and attentiveness. The opposite of pastoral watchfulness over the flock and watchfulness over the way that they live and watchfulness over the truth is an attitude of carelessness. It's what Paul references in 1 Timothy 4.13 when he says to Timothy, neglect not the gift that is in thee. What he's saying is, Timothy, don't be careless about the sacred trust God has committed to your care, but be careful to fulfill your calling. So the first question we've asked today is, what is the job description for a shepherd? If you're going to get a job again, you're going to read the job description. By the way, most failure in employment is due to the fact that people don't really understand the nature of the job that they've been hired to do. So having a clear sense of the job description is very important. You know, as a preacher, my job description is not to promote my own agenda. It's not to climb the ladder of success and to become increasingly popular and to build a personal legacy to myself. My job description is not to pad my own pockets, to, again, promote my own reputation, or to exercise and exert power and influence over people so that my name will be celebrated as a household word. My job description is to keep somebody else's sheep, to keep the flock, to shepherd the flock, to watch over them, to pay attention to them. That's important for the preacher to keep in mind. Now, let's ask the second question. What quality is most needed for this task of shepherding? And I would say the number one quality for a gospel shepherd is faithfulness. We quoted 1 Corinthians 4.1, where he says, Let a man so account of us as ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. The very next verse says, It is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Now, I think it's significant that that verse doesn't say that it's required that a man be successful. The fact is, I can't control the outcome of my ministry. 
Now, perhaps I could. Perhaps there are ways that you can try certain marketing techniques and put forth certain tactics to grow a church. But the fact is that the number one thing that the Lord requires of a minister is fidelity, faithfulness. It is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. If Brother Andy entrusted me with taking care of his automobile while he went away on an extended trip, let's say a few months away from home, and I was to take care of his automobile, and he came home and I had it repainted, and I had uh, removed certain parts from it and used them in other machines, and I had dented the bumper and had even advertised it for sale, would he be happy with me? <laughs> he would say when he came home, Brother Goins, I trusted you to keep my property. You told me that you would, and you have violated that trust. What does a person look for if they're going to entrust property into the hands of somebody else? What quality is most important? Faithfulness, right? You want that person to take care of the item or the treasure and to return it to you as good as it was when they borrowed it, if not better. That's what I was taught as a boy. If you borrow something from somebody, you give it back to them in as good a shape as it was when you got it, or even better. And you see, when we think of a stewardship or a shepherd's task, the number one criteria is faithfulness. Now, perhaps somebody says, that's easy. I can be faithful. I mean, I can stick to it. I can't promise to be popular. I can't promise to be successful, but I can stick to the task. But I'll tell you, it's not as easy as it may appear on the surface. The fact is, the world makes it difficult to be faithful. There are so many distractions out there that can catch somebody's eye. And the flesh certainly makes it difficult. Our flesh wants self-comfort. You know, whenever it comes time to get out of bed on Sunday mornings or on any morning, my flesh says, just roll over and enjoy a little bit more rest. You know, I, I would be glad to pamper the flesh if that was an option. But the fact is, the Lord requires fidelity. It is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. What was it about Joseph that Potiphar appreciated? His faithfulness. He didn't have to worry about anything that he owned. If you were to ask Potiphar, how much are you worth? He would have said, I don't know. Go ask Joseph. He's the one who keeps my books. He knows everything that I have. You see, it says Potiphar didn't think about anything that he owned except his meals, his daily bread. That's the only thing he concerned himself with. He trusted Joseph so implicitly he was able to leave the care and the management of his assets in the hands of this faithful steward. Now, last week we considered the parable of the Good Shepherd in John chapter 10, a passage that contrasts false shepherds and the Good Shepherd. And it's clear that the subject in view in the 10th chapter of John is leadership. Jesus is comparing and contrasting his commitment to the flock to the shepherds that had taken care of the Jewish people in ancient times. Leadership. The concept of shepherds in both the Old and New Testament, that image, that metaphor is used to speak of the civil and religious leaders among the Jewish people. Whether we're talking about their kings or their priests or their prophets or the scribes or the doctors of the law, that is the theologians of the day or their judges, somebody who held a position of influence, they were compared to shepherds. And in John chapter 10, Jesus says, all that came before me, 
were thieves and robbers. The shepherds that took care of the Israelites before I came along, he said, were thieves and robbers. Now, obviously, there were a few exceptions to that. But for the most part, their civil and religious leaders had abused their office. If you study the kings of Israel and Judah in the book of First and Second Kings, it's interesting to note that there were very few of the kings that are said to be godly kings. And they were all confined to the tribe of Judah. Every king in the northern kingdom of Israel were told did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. Whether you're talking about Ahab or Manasseh or whoever it was, it says he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. He walked in the ways of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which caused Israel to sin. He walked in the ways of Ahab, his father. Those kings did evil. Notice how many rulers they had who were not people of integrity, who were not faithful to the task that God had given them. And many of the priests and the prophets prophesied by their means, and the priests bore rule over the people in a very authoritarian kind of way. And the Lord calls them on the carpet. He indicts the religious leaders of the people. What about in the time of Jesus? It was the Pharisees who held the upper hand, and the Pharisees were the target of some of the most scathing language that Jesus ever spoke during his public ministry. Read the 23rd chapter of Matthew sometime, and you'll read how Jesus goes through there in a divine diatribe, if you please, against the Pharisees. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. He says, you shut up the kingdom of heaven against others, and you don't enter in yourself. He says, you won't serve the Lord sincerely, and you keep other people from enjoying the kingdom of God. He says, you make the outside of the platter clean, and the outside of the cup clean, but the inside, it's full of extortion and excess. He says, you're like whited sepulchers. On the outside, you appear righteous, but inside, he says, you're full of dead men's bones. And he rakes them over the coals, if you please. The Lord Jesus is constantly challenging the leadership of the people because they have failed the test of faithfulness. They were unfaithful shepherds. And that's what he says in John chapter 10. He calls them thieves and robbers. All that came before me were thieves and robbers. In verse 4, he calls them strangers. Verse 12, he calls them hirelings. Thieves, robbers, strangers, and hirelings four references to the infidelity of the religious and civil leaders among the Jewish people. And in contrast to them, John chapter 10 teaches us that the good shepherd loves and cares for the sheep. He sacrifices himself for the sheep. You see, our Lord indicts these leaders in John 10 with abusing and abandoning the flock. In a word, they were unfaithful shepherds. Interestingly, this idea continues a theme that was developed in the Old Testament. Would you listen to a couple of passages? Isaiah 56, verses 10 and 11 says this. His watchmen are blind. Now, talking about the prophets, watchmen. Now, how good would a blind watchman be? (laughs) If you had somebody positioned on the city walls to watch out for an enemy army advancing or maybe a fire breaking out in some quarter of the city but he was blind you'd say a blind watchman the very word watchman indicates you need to be able to see to watch but a blind watchman is of no benefit he says they are all ignorant they are all dumb dogs which cannot bark sleeping lying down and loving to slumber 
Yea, they are greedy dogs which can never have enough. Now, this is pretty in-your-face kind of language, isn't it? The Lord is saying that the prophets and the priests and the kings who are supposed to be watching out for the people are like dumb dogs that cannot bark. Now, a dog that can't bark is really no use. He's not much count, as they used to say in my childhood. And he says, they are sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. How many pastors, preachers are indulgent? Laziness is next to a professional sin in the gospel ministry. Sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. Yea, they are greedy dogs, which can never have enough. Like a scavenger that comes into the city and he'll eat as long as there's food there. Even if he's full, he'll continue to eat. He says, they are shepherds that cannot understand. They all look to their own way, everyone for his gain from his quarter. What he's saying here is that the religious leaders are self-serving, ignorant, and worldly. That's a pretty depressing indictment. Look at another one, Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 1. Woe be to the pastors that destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, saith the Lord. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God of Israel against the pastors that feed my people, you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not visited them. Behold, I will visit upon you the evil of your doings, saith the Lord. And I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all countries, whither I've driven them, and will bring them again to their folds, and they shall be fruitful and increase. And I will set up shepherds over them which shall feed them, and they shall fear no more nor be dismayed, neither shall they be lacking, saith the Lord. In this passage, the Lord says that the leaders that the people have had in the past have scattered the flock, driven them away, have not visited them. But he says, I'm going to gather my flock out of all the countries, whether I've driven them and will bring them again to their folds. And he says, I'll set up shepherds over them, which shall feed them. And by the way, the New Testament gospel ministry is the fulfillment of this promise The shepherds that he has called to tend the flock in the new covenant are to be faithful and God will bless them, he says, that they shall be fruitful and increase and the flock shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall they be lacking, saith the Lord. You know what happens when leadership fails? The flock suffers. Jeremiah 50 verse 6 is a very sad verse. My people have been lost sheep saith the Lord. Their shepherds have caused them to go astray. They have turned them away on the mountains. They have gone from mountain to hill. They have forgotten their resting place. All that found them have devoured them, and their adversaries said, We offend not, because they have sinned against the Lord, the habitation of justice, even the Lord, the hope of their fathers. God says, when the shepherds drop the ball, the sheep scatter, and they forget their resting place. May I ask you today, my friend, Have you forgotten the place where you can find spiritual rest? Somebody says, I think it's out here on the golf course. I think it's down at the lake. I think it's on my boat. That's where I truly feel free. That's where I find rest. Well, there is recreation. There is no doubt enjoyment to be found in different activities and hobbies. But I'll tell you, your soul can never be satisfied by anything that this world has to offer. And the pastor's job, the shepherd's task, is to remind God's people of where their resting place is. Jesus said, come to me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If 
you're like me, my beloved, sometimes you find your soul tied in knots, your heart is burdened, you're heavy in your spirit. You say, oh, I just wish I could find some rest. Jesus says there is rest to be found, rest to be had in the gospel church when Jesus Christ meets the needs of his people, come to me and find rest. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God in this world. Now there's an everlasting rest waiting for us. And that'll be a happy day when we can rest from our labors. We'll never be troubled any longer by the toilsome labor of this world, by indwelling sin, by the old devil. He won't bother us anymore over there. But I'm telling you, dear friends, there's a rest to be found right here in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the truth of the gospel of grace. Among the people of God, there's rest for your souls. And that's where I need rest. And that's where you need rest, whether you know it or not, is in your soul, in your inward man, not in your body. You say, my body's tired, but my soul is at rest. Then, my friends, you're a blessed character. You know, this old outward man will perish, but the inward man is renewed day by day. And to have rest and peace in your heart is a wonderful blessing. Well, when the shepherds misuse their position and they lead the flock of God astray, the people forget their resting place. That's Jeremiah 50, verse 6. I want to turn over to the 34th chapter of Ezekiel for just a moment. And I want you to listen to this passage in which the Lord indicts the unfaithful shepherds of Israel. And he says... In this passage, that when the shepherds that I've appointed don't do their job, I will take over and will take care of my flock. Would you listen to this? Ezekiel 34, verse 2. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Now, who are the shepherds representative of? The kings, the priests, the prophets, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders, the civil leaders. God says, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. And say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God unto the shepherds, Woe be to the shepherds of Israel that feed themselves. Should not the shepherd feed the flock? In other words, you're using them for your own benefit, and your task is to take care of them. They belong to me, the Lord says. He says, You eat the fat, these shepherds, you eat the fat, you clothe you with wool, you kill them that are fed, but you feed not the flock. The diseased you have not strengthened. Neither have you healed that which was sick, neither have you bound up that which was broken, neither have you brought again that which was driven away, neither have you sought that which was lost, but with force and with cruelty have you ruled them. And they were scattered because there's no shepherd. And they became meat to all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep wandered through all the mountains upon every high hill. Yea, my flock was scattered upon all the face of the earth, and none did search or seek after them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, saith the Lord God, surely because my flock became a prey and my flock became meat to every beast of the field because there was no shepherd, neither did my shepherd search for my flock, but they fed themselves and fed not the flock. Therefore, O ye shepherds, verse 10, I'm against the shepherds and I will require my flock at their hand and I will cause them to cease from feeding the flock. God says, I'm going to fire you. <laughs> you're going to be relieved of your position for I will deliver my flock from their mouth that they may not be meat for them you won't be able to indulge yourself in my flock any longer I'm going to relieve you of your job you see you've been unfaithful the number one quality that is needed is faithfulness 
God says, as a shepherd seeketh out his flock, verse 12 of Ezekiel 34, in the day that he's among his sheep that are scattered, so I will seek out my sheep. Isn't it wonderful to know that when man drops the ball, the Lord doesn't. When men are unfaithful, the Lord continues to be faithful to his own. I'm telling you, dear friends, that no man will ever deserve your complete trust because we all have feet of clay. But I'll tell you, the Lord deserves your complete trust. He will never break his word. He will never go back on his promise. He will never fail to keep his sheep. And the Lord says, I will bring my sheep from all places where they've been scattered in the cloudy and dark day. And I will bring them out from the people and gather them from the countries into their own land and feed them upon the mountains of Israel by the rivers and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them in a good pasture. Upon the high mountains of Israel shall their fold be. There they shall lie in a good fold and in a fat pasture shall they feed upon the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock and I will cause them to lie down, saith the Lord God. Sounds like they're happy. If they can lie down in green pastures, if they can rest, then they're not afraid of any danger. God says, I will seek that which was lost, verse 16, and bring that again which was driven away. I'll bind up that which was broken. I'll strengthen that which was sick. In other words, when under shepherds falter, the great shepherd steps in. Listen to verse 23 now. And I will set up one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them, even my servant David. By the way, David's been dead for about 400 years. David's dead, but God says, I'm going to set up a shepherd over them, even my servant David. How do you interpret passages like this? Does God mean David's going to be reincarnated? David's going to be resurrected and come back to the... No, he's talking about David's greater son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The super David. Jesus Christ is the shepherd king, like David was. Jesus is the good shepherd and the king of kings and lord of lords, and he will be the one to take care of his flock. God says, and he shall feed them, and he shall be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David, a prince among them, for I, the Lord, have spoken it. Here's the point, my friends. Our Lord is faithful. When a little sheep wanders, he'll leave the ninety and nine safely in the fold and go after that one that was lost, right? Didn't he say that? Luke 15, Jesus talked about the good shepherd that every little lamb is important to him. And he goes after the one that has wandered away. You know, I am told that a shepherd in ancient times would take a little lamb that was prone to wander. I mean, every time he turned around, this little lamb was wandering away. And he would take the little lamb when he found him after the second or third time and he would break the leg of that lamb you say how cruel but you see then he would take the lamb and set it on his own shoulders with legs on either side of his head and he would bind up the wound he would cast the broken limb and he would carry that lamb with him until the leg had healed and the story is told that that little lamb would never again leave the shepherd's side he taught him a lesson has the lord ever had to teach you a lesson has he ever had to cause temporary discomfort for the long-term good? There's an old saying that sometimes you have to appear to be cruel in order to be kind. Every doctor knows that he has to stick the needle in to deaden the wound. You know, they say there's a cut that needs to be stitched. You say, well, just leave it alone. Don't cause any more pain. But sometimes you have to be perceived as cruel for the moment for the long-term good and benefit. For the healing of that wound. 
Every parent knows that sometimes you have to deny a child's desire because it's not for their long-term good. Mom, may I have this bag of marshmallows? No, but you can have a banana, you see. You say, that's cruel for you to say no, but the parent knows better than the child does, right? Temporary discomfort is sometimes necessary to the long-term benefit. And so the shepherd knows what the little lamb needs. I'm telling you, dear friends, the Lord has broken my legs a few times. He has pulled the rug out from underneath me. He's chastened me. That's the Bible word. Hebrews 12, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. But he's done so, my friends, to teach me valuable lessons. And I can say today with David in the 119th Psalm, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I have kept thy word. It is good for me that I've been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. I've learned more through the trials and difficulties of life than I've ever learned on the mountaintop of success. Yes, my friends, trouble has a way of teaching us that God is faithful how much we need the good shepherd. He goes and seeks the one that has wandered away. You know, faithfulness is the most celebrated of Bible virtues. Just being loyal, being faithful. Proverbs 28 verse 20 says, Blessing shall be upon the faithful man, but he that labors to be rich shall not be innocent. The faithful man is promised blessing. Proverbs 20, verse 6 says, every man will proclaim his own goodness. You know, that's true. All you got to do is look on Facebook or Instagram or YouTube or whatever, and every man puts his best foot forward. Every man proclaims his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. Somebody who is humble before God. Someone who is true to God and loyal. You see, that's fidelity that's faithfulness in Daniel 6 4 we're told that Daniel was above reproach for as much as he was faithful even in foreign territory when the temptation to compromise was very great Daniel was found faithful Jesus said in Luke 16 10 a person who's faithful in that which is least will be faithful in that which is much and if you've been faithful in the least then the Lord will commit into your hands the true riches He that is faithful in that which is another man's, the Lord will give him things that are his own. The first trait I suggest for consideration that employers look for in a potential employee is dependability, loyalty, or faithfulness. I read an article recently about the qualities that employers seek in potential employees and The article said this, employers want employees who demonstrate dependability. That's the most important ability there is, dependability. Certain core expectations, the article said, are required for all jobs, but dependability is probably at the top of the list. Employees show dependability by taking personal ownership of all aspects of their job, including being on time, dressing and working in a professional manner, and demonstrating a high level of commitment and loyalty. Managers like dependable employees because they set and maintain clear expectations. Yes, my friends, faithfulness is of vital importance. Did you know at least seven times in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit offers a tribute to fidelity in ministry. 1 Timothy 1.12, Paul was considered by God to be faithful, and that's why the Lord put him into the ministry. Faithful. In 1 Corinthians 4.17, Timothy is called 
Paul's beloved son and faithful in the Lord. Faithful. In Ephesians 6.21 and Colossians 4.7, Tychicus, we're told, is a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord. Colossians chapter 1, verse 7, Epaphras is called a faithful minister of Christ. Colossians 4.9, Onesimus is called a faithful and beloved brother. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 12, Silvanus, or Silas if you please, is called a faithful brother unto you. And in Revelation chapter 2, verse 13, Antipas is called the Lord's faithful martyr. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 2, The things that thou hast heard of me, the same commit thou unto faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. I ask you, my friends, in what areas is faithfulness needed from those who keep the Lord's sheep? And I believe that a minister is called to be faithful, to keep the truth in a day of compromise. It's what Titus 1.9 says, holding fast the faithful word that you've been taught. Paul said in his dying word, 2 Timothy 4.7, I have finished my course, I have kept. He's a keeper, I've kept the faith. I've been true to the truth. He needs to be faithful to proclaim the truth when it's unpopular. You see, we're living in a day, my friends, when there are so many opportunities to compromise and it's so unpopular to proclaim the truth. 2 Timothy 4.3 says that the time will come when people will not endure sound doctrine, but they will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears that will tell them what they want to hear. You know, don't preach the truth to us. Preach smooth things, not hard things. And he says, when that time comes, Timothy, you keep preaching the truth. Be faithful to the calling that God has given you. Gospel shepherds need faithfulness to live the truth in a world of temptation to sin. Paul told Timothy, keep thyself pure. You see, we need men who are faithful morally, faithful theologically, faithful to the gospel message. We need to be faithful as servants of God and people of God in times of persecution. Now that's easier said than done. When the government says that you can't serve the Lord, we need to be faithful to the shepherd that called us and appointed us. In the face of criticism, you know, criticism is par for the course in gospel ministry, but the faithful minister will keep going regardless of what people say because he has been entrusted with this sacred trust and therefore he wants to please God and not men. And when there's no real fruit from your labors, no evidence of growth or success, again, it's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. I want to close with this question. What are some incentives to faithful shepherding of the flock of God? And I would say the first one is the love of Christ. Paul said the love of Christ constrains me. That's what compels me. It's what motivates me. It's what keeps me going. You know, if I can just remember whatever happens in the church that I serve, whether I experience success or not, whether the people like me or not, whether my preaching is received or not, the fact that the Lord loved me and gave himself for me on the cross, I'm serving him because of gratitude for his grace. It's the love of Christ that keeps me going. Is that what keeps you going? What a great incentive to faithfulness. Secondly, the faithfulness of the great shepherd. You see, I want to be faithful because the Bible teaches me in 1 Thessalonians 5, 24, faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. If he's called me effectually by his grace, if he's called me by the gospel to be his follower, if he's called me to the ministry, the one who called, who issued the call is faithful, and he will be good 
to back up that calling. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold fast the profession of faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. I love to think about the faithfulness of God. And my friends, don't ever forget how true and loyal and trustworthy your God is to the promises. He will be with you as you watch over his sheep and seek to follow the steps of the Good Shepherd. In some lonely behind-the-scenes little community, he promises to be with us. And finally, an incentive to faithfulness in shepherding is 1 Peter 5, 4, that glory is waiting for us. When the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory. Somebody says, I didn't think we were going to have crowns in heaven, Brother Mike. Well, if we do, we'll cast them at the feet of Jesus, okay? There are no big eyes and little U's in heaven. There's no class structure up there where some people are closer to the throne than others. There aren't people that live in a 20-room mansion and others that live in a little shanty in the, on the back 40. Now, my friend, somebody says, I just want a cabin in the glory land. Well, you'll be given a mansion. You'll be given the royal treatment. There aren't any classes or grades of blessing in heaven. We're all joint heirs with Christ, okay? But when he says, you shall receive a crown of glory when the chief shepherd comes, that is a form or figure of speech called an apposition in the genitive case, which means a crown which is glory, a crown which is glory. When the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown which is glory. Heaven will be its own reward, in other words. So here's incentive to be faithful right now, knowing that when Jesus comes again, it'll all be worth it then. And every sorrow down here will just disappear into oblivion in the light of his glorious face. Just to be in the presence of the Lord, we'll forget all about our trials down here. Wouldn't it be wonderful to be such a faithful steward and shepherd that when he comes to take account of his servants, he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful in a few things. I'll make thee ruler over many things. Indeed, my beloved, when I breathe my last and you lay me to rest, if you could put nothing else on my tombstone but these three words, he was faithful, what a blessing that would be. I would feel like I'd lived a worthy life to be faithful to the charge that my good shepherd has given me. To thy path.